Great. Okay. <clears throat> Welcome to Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing queer representation on Star Trek Discovery in a kind of hopefully timely way, since June is Pride Month, and that's when we're recording. I do think it's hilarious that June is Pride Month, not in our country. It Well, it is and it isn't. Because um, I know you'd commented on this uh, in, at the beginning of the month on Twitter, but like a lot of municipalities are observing Pride in June. Oh no, I understand. We we just like right. absorb the American culture. I get that, <laughs> especially like it, it's across the whole country. But I just feel like we get to do it twice. Then I guess right? I guess I generally just sort of think of summer as Pride time because America has it in June, England has theirs in July, and most of Canada does like end of July, August. Hmm. Okay. Which actually really sucks, because I enjoy going to, like, the Pride Parade and all that, but I fucking hate being outside in the summer. <laughs> I hate hot and sunshine. I, it's terrible. Last year, Pride nearly actually killed me. I don't remember what wonderful float was handing out bottles of water, but whoever they were, they were my favorite. Yeah. It's usually on Saturdays. That and I work Saturdays, so... Mm. I mean, I don't really think of you as a downtown person either. No, but there will be a celebration like at the park adjacent to where I work. Gotcha. Um, but it's on a Saturday. <laughs> so I'll be like, oh, okay. Although this year we actually have much better staffing. Mm -hmm. So I might be able to like take my break at work and go hang out for a, a bunch. We'll see. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, I'll probably still go to the Pride Parade, but I'm going to be mostly miserable. Yeah, it definitely has the potential to be incredibly hot. Yeah. So. All right. Now, we don't really have any news to share this week, this month. I haven't seen anything on any of the new shows recently. I think the Picard trailer came out. Since we last recorded. Oh. I didn't watch it. And it is now officially called Star Trek Picard. Oh. That's the, that's, that's the that's official name. That's super lame. So I've only kind of half been paying attention Everything to about this show just sounds like it's going to be a fucking disaster. Like, it sounds like, look, we got, we got Patrick Stewart. Nothing else matters. You know, like, they've just given up on everything else. It's called Star Trek Picard. It's called Star Trek. <laughs> we managed to get Patrick Stewart back. Okay, the other things that I have been seeing is, of course, there's been articles, and I, I haven't clicked through because I feel like they're, some of them are a little clickbaity, mm -hmm. but there have been articles that are like, oh, will Brent Spiner join? Will we see him in the Picard show? Will we have a... You know, a thing with Jonathan Frakes, mm -hmm. so what's going on and stuff like that. And the very first one to come up was Brent Spiner, who played Data. Right. And I just thought that was funny, considering... I uh, uh, want to recast him? Me, personally? Hmm? I want to recast him. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but since that was one of the people we commented on, and like, how would he... Res like... <laughs> yeah. Would he want to come back? Would he... 
Yeah. I'm sure he would. I mean, there'd be a great paycheck in it for him, but I don't think he should. Mm -hmm. So I think any explanation they come up with that will be stupid. I'm very pessimistic about this whole show. I can tell. It just seems like the weirdest sort of money grab. Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll see. I guess we will. And if anyone listening wants to hear us talk more about it, let us know. Yep. And uh, or tweet at us. That'll be a or... fun episode. Me being down on everything, <laughs> and you like trying to be like, well, maybe, and me, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, should we get started talking? Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, as most of our listeners already know, uh, I am not queer. I am like a cishet woman. Uh, so I just wanted to position that up front and acknowledge that uh, my viewpoint might not be encompassing of the LGBTQ plus community. And so if anybody has feedback for things we missed or um, wants to give their perspective on it, please hit us up on Twitter or by email and we would be happy to include your voices and viewpoints in our next show. Very good. So, starting off, I thought I would do a very sort of brief overview of representation in Star Trek. Before we get into that, can I ask my question? Oh, sure. Although I am very unprepared for your question. Okay. So, I just wanted us to, just to set, like, the stage. What is your first memory of queer representation in media. And if you have it, what is your first memory of like queer representation in sci-fi media in particular? Yeah, this is hard for me actually because there wasn't great queer representation. It doesn't have to be good. Cuz I don't think anything was good back in back in the day. Yeah, and I'm like I'm trying like to think any of any representation at all. Any representation. <laughs> and if I knew it was what it was when I was seeing it. Right. So my first memory is, mm-hmm. uh, this is non-sci-fi, is um, mm-hmm. Ellen coming out on The Ellen Show. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Which was in 1997. Okay. I, according to Google. Okay. And, you know, that that killed her show. Like it had, it, I don't think it ever really came back from that. Right. I remember, because I wasn't a regular watcher. Mm. But I also remember how they were kind of teasing and leading up to it, um, catching little bits here and there just in the general pop culture of the day. Right. As far as sci-fi in particular, I have no memory of it. In general media, I think that there must have been some movies or things that predated The Ellen Show for me. But I'm struggling to remember what they were. I can think of some in fantasy. Not that predated. Sorry, I don't have anything in my... Mm -hmm. Like, in in 97, I was 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, I can remember Will and Grace. I can remember... I forgot. Um, When did Will and Grace premiere? That I don't remember. I also remember my so-called life, but I don't remember. Like, I didn't watch it regularly. I I never watched it at all. So, uh, 1998, so Will and Grace was after Ellen. 
Okay. Yeah, and my so-called life was like 94, 95. I never watched it, so I have no idea that there was queer representation in it. Yeah, uh, Wilson Cruz is in it as a gay boy. Oh, cool. Um, but again, like, I didn't watch it regularly, so it was the kind of thing where, like, I caught an episode here and there, and I kind of knew what was going on, because it was out, but it wasn't something that, um, I was following. Mm -hmm. So. The, um, this isn't sci-fi, this is fantasy, but the one, like, mm -hmm. you know, non, uh, traditional, or whatever, non, non sci-fi fan, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. that I really remember, um, when I, from when I was younger, uh, that was not subtext. So, like, obviously, Xena had it in subtext. But I'm... Oh, right. yeah. So, but I mean one that, like, explicitly said, yes, this character is gay or bisexual, uh, was Buffy. Right, yeah. And Willow came out, or Willow and Tara had their plot line in 2000, I think. I think was season four. Okay. Off the top of my head. Sounds right. Not that I'm an expert on Buffy at all. I'm just I'm just trying to match it up to what school year I was in, what grade I was in. Okay, and then specific to sci-fi, mm -hmm. all the examples of queer people in media that I can think of would have been from Star Trek. Were there any in Next Generation? There were not main characters. Yeah, that's what I thought. But there were episodic stories that dealt with it. Mm -hmm. And apparently there was one that was going to um, deal with it that never aired. It basically, they had a script but didn't end up going forward with it. Hmm. So I probably saw that because I watched most of Next Generation when it was airing. Or at least a good chunk of it. We used to watch it. But I don't, I don't mm -hmm. remember any of it. When I was doing research for today, mm -hmm. I came across a really good uh, article that is about the history of queer representation in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So they actually go over all of the episodes mm -hmm. that featured things like mm -hmm. that in Next Gen, in Deep Space Nine, and... Explain a bit why they didn't go forward more than they did. And then talk about Discovery. Yeah. So, I will go over it briefly here. I guess I'll get started into it. Alright, let's, let's do it. Star Trek. Right from the beginning with the original series of Star Trek, even though there was not anything in the text of it, of the TV show... Mm -hmm. Right away, fans picked up on the relationship between Kirk and Spock. And this was very early in the history of fan fiction in general. And right away, there basically started to be slash fic um, pieces being written about them. Um, and for those who are listening who might not know, slash fiction in the fan fiction community refers to I think male-male relationships specifically. For the most part, yes. It's sort of... It's interesting how that term came about, but this isn't a fandom history lesson. Carry on. Yeah. Um, and there was actually a very early Star Trek book that was written. There's a book called Killing Time by author Della Van Heis. 
I'm guessing on that pronunciation. And it was written for um, a publisher called Pocket Books. And basically what ended up happening is the manuscript got sent to Pocket Books. Um, Paramount Studios was supposed to also do some approval on it. And they marked up a bunch of the pages that had a lot of the more uh, heavy overtones of slash fiction. Mm -hmm and sent it back to Pocket Books. And then there was some change in editorial staff at that time, and somebody at some point marked over the Paramount uh, comments and stuff mm -hmm. with the letters STET, which just basically means disregard of this, publish it like this. Hmm. And so the very first edition of the book published 250,000 copies of Killing Time, and there was a very strong romantic link between Kirk and Spock. Uh, so... Apparently, Roddenberry was livid at this, and then the uh, novel was recalled and destroyed. So I did look up the book, but I couldn't see clearly which edition, because there's ebooks available. Uh, so, uh, but it wasn't clear which edition it would have been. And also, apparently, the contract with Pocket Books was shortly after this, like, killed. They were like, nope. Nope. So yeah, so that it goes back right to the very beginnings of Star Trek, basically. Well, that's not representation. No, but there was clearly a strong fan. Uh, it's what the fans wanted from the very beginning. And fan pressure on the producers and writers uh, started pushing them in that direction. I guess I can so, see that. I just, I hesitate to use any sort of fan wanting of things. To say something's there that's not there? Not, not that. Because okay. that's, that's, that. Um, I don't know how to say this. Mm -hmm. Without, like, a lot of fandom that likes two male characters together is not queer people. It is straight women who fetishize it. Okay. That's an excellent point. So I hesitate mm -hmm. to call that any sort of progress. Right. Right. And I will say I, it wasn't specific in anything I researched about this book, but early Star Trek fandom uh, did... Uh, come up from a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Like, the early Star Trek fandom, the people petitioning to keep Star Trek on the air, was a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to specify, I don't have any problem with that. They can do what they want. I just don't think it's necessarily progressive representation. Right? Right. And even today, like, a lot of people will... Again, this isn't actual representation, but, mm -hmm. like, uh, Supernatural likes to tease the relationship between Dean and Castiel. But they're not doing that for gay men who watch the show. They're doing that for the straight women who watch the show. Right. Right. So it's just something to keep in mind. And I'm not saying there are zero gay uh, men who were into Spock and, and Kirk. Obviously, th there were plenty of them. I'm just saying mm -hmm. the loudest voices are usually straight women. All right. As Star Trek moved on and was came back in Star Trek The Next Generation, there was already talk then about the possibility of having uh, gay char characters featured on the show. 
Uh, Gene Roddenberry, from everything I've read, comes across, in my mind, every all the quotes and stuff I'm reading, is he's kind of going down the middle. Uh, he's wanting to please fans, but also very aware of network television restrictions. Is there anything about how he himself felt? Because that's all, that's all bottom line and money opinion right there. Like, you know, want to keep right. fans happy so you have an audience, but want to keep the network happy so you have a platform. Is there anything have, official about how he himself felt if money weren't in the equation? Again, everything I've seen from these articles mm-hmm. uh, quoting him, it doesn't give a very full picture. Okay. Like, I, I wouldn't know the context of where these quotes are coming right, from. Right, gotcha. So I don't want to say, oh, it seems like he was like this, or it seems like he was like this. And Gene Roddenberry, I haven't uh, researched very much in general, just because it's one of those things where I am, I'm certain he was uh, a product of his time. Right. Replete with, you know, wonderful things and many flaws. And I kind of don't want to know more because I love Star Trek. Right. And I don't want details about his personal life to color how I feel about this universe, which is much more than just Gene Roddenberry. I understand that completely. Okay, so in Next Generation, uh, he did apparently, Gene Roddenberry did apparently pledge to introduce a gay character, and this did lead to there being a script written for an unaired episode that was called Blood and Fire, and this was basically going to address the AIDS epidemic, Mm-hmm. and be about uh, a, a ship that's infected and that Enterprise officers need to donate blood and there would have been uh, two characters who are like in a committed relationship basically on the ship. And But that episode never went forward to production. Uh, Rick Berman apparently was one of the people who was raising concerns that it was too risque for the f- for the time slot. This was Star Trek was always you know a family show, and at the time there were concerns from the network about this hurting the ratings basically. Right. So the show continued on. Roddenberry again pledged to include gay representation but then passed away shortly thereafter, leaving Rick Berman to be the showrunner. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a couple of shows that sort of dealt with the topic through allegory. The one that's probably most often cited is called The Outcast, which was in season five. And the crew encounters a race of androgynous people. Mm -hmm. And Riker ends up... uh, getting into a romantic relationship with one of the members who feels that they identify as female. Uh, So breaking from the gender norms. And then the person is forced to undergo a treatment of a brainwashing procedure. And it's a criticism of conversion therapy. Okay. Okay. So Looking back at it, like, it was progressive, but it was also... And Jonathan Frakes has reflected on this, um, because now, more in the future, he has said, you know, it was progressive, but also the person they cast opposite me was a a woman actor. Right. And had they cast a male actor, because they're androgynous, and the, the cast that was playing 
this androgynous race was represented by both male and women actors in real mm-hmm. life. So I just realized I said male and women, male and female actors. And looking back, it would have been even more progressive to have paired Frakes against a male actor mm-hmm. in that role. Uh, it would have been perhaps even more progressive to have cast people who identify as somewhere on the trans spectrum. Mm-hmm. But it was what it was for its time. There was one other episode in Next Gen that dealt with this sort of topic. And it also sort of crosses over into Deep Space Nine because it has to do with the alien species called the Trill. And they live a, a symbiotic relationship, so there is the, the symbiote and the host. And the symbiote lives a long time, and it goes through many hosts, men or women. Right. And in The Next Generation, again, Dr. Crusher this time was having a romantic relationship with an alien. And something happened to the trill that she was involved with, and it changed hosts, and returned as a woman now. And so it was exploring that sort of uh, challenging relationship. This was early in Trill history, though, so as they further explored the Trill in Deep Space Nine, because there was a main character who was Trill, they sort of retconned some things, an official Trill, um, cultural norms, when you change hosts, you're not supposed to go back to any of the previous relationships from the host. So, like, if you're married and one of the partner's host dies, but the symbiont continues, you're not married anymore. That new host isn't going back to that marriage. Oh. They're continuing forward. That seems odd. Well, it gets complicated, because what if the host is in a relationship before they get the symbiont? And then the symbiont's last host was married already, so who's in a relationship with who now? Like, it it would just get very complicated. And also, like, if you've had children, well, is this, you know, new 20-year-old host the parent to a teenager who they've never met? (laughs) So I I can kind of see where that makes sense, but... And then they explore basically the same thing again in Deep Space Nine with the character of Jadzia, when she encounters a new host, or the... Anyways, they're both joined Trill, and in their previous forms, they were married. And then they meet again, and they discover that they still have romantic feelings together. And that did result in uh, an on-screen kiss, which was very controversial, and some networks cut it in the airing originally. Jeez. Yeah. So, and apparently that was the fifth lesbian kiss ever to be shown on television. Interesting. Yeah. What was number one? Uh, this article actually does include that the first one was on L.A. Law in 1991. Hmm. I did want to mention, we sort of glossed over it earlier about how the mm-hmm. network for Next Generation didn't want, like, an, a queer representation thing because of ratings in a family show. And we just kind of were like, meh. I did just want to say, we think that is bullshit. Being gay doesn't necessarily mean that you are not for a family. I've just heard that so much that I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. 
Okay, I just yeah. want to make sure we weren't, we're not agreeing with that sentiment. No, no, not at all. Deep Space Nine did have a little bit more explorations of sexuality and gender because they had several mirror episode adventures. And who I'll wouldn't say. want to make out with their evil twin, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty close. Um, so there was another like lesbian kiss. And there was some uh, bisexual representation in the mirror universe, which is good and bad because it maintains the trope of the like evil bisexual and bisexuality is depraved mm -hmm. because people in the mirror universe are evil. And that's, you know, a much more common represented sexuality in the mirror universe. Right. But it did also feature like, you know, lesbian kissing and things like that. Uh, also, I haven't rewatched the episodes recently, but I would uh, not be surprised if the manner in which they were shot, like, again, it wasn't representation for actual queer people, mm -hmm. but it was shot and presented in a way to appeal to straight men and women who fetishize that sort right. of thing. So... And, I mean, the, the articles that I've read on this don't really get into uh, the manner in which things are directed and how that informs the gaze that we're using. Right. So often these things are filmed with more of a male gaze in mind, and a straight male gaze is usually the default here. Right. I can understand why the articles don't get into it, because sometimes if you're just, like, trying to find the queer representation you're like well here's a breadcrumb here's a little <laughs> bit of a scrap yeah and that's all we really get until discovery interesting so there's nothing there's... in enterprise or voyager no i haven't personally watched all of voyager um but the article doesn't say anything about it. There was talk about making the character Seven of Nine explore her sexuality mm -hmm. more. Because she comes into a human form after being Borg since a child. And, like, she never went through, the, you know, the teenager stage and puberty like a human mm -hmm. would. So how would she know her preference? But they didn't do that. Um, so there was uh, pressure from fan organizations and stuff to include, you know, add a gay or lesbian character to Voyager. Uh, the, one of the producers, Jerry Taylor, seemed sympathetic, but ultimately, um, it didn't happen. Nothing went forward with it. And Enterprise didn't feature any queer characters. I think in Deep Space Nine and Voyager, there is some more like subtext things that you can read into characters. Mm -hmm. But I think that gets more into the actors making choices about portraying complex characters right. than things that are actually written in and creative decisions from the writers and producers. And let's be clear about Seven of Nine. Even if they... They probably didn't think of it this way, but choosing to mm -hmm. portray her as somebody with completely zero interest in... In romance or sex is a queer identity yes but they i'm sure it, they didn't think of it that way absolutely absolutely uh 
so yeah, that pretty much brings us up to Discovery, which has been a little, so. uh, a little, a little hot and cold. A little hot and cold. Um, and one of the things I think that's important to point out is while Discovery has a lot more actual uh, representation in canon representation and also uh, representation of the actors themselves, mm -hmm. it's also on a streaming service. So we still haven't seen a network put this out on cable TV. Right. I understand what you're saying there, so. but <sighs> I mean, and I guess it does. It is. It is different. I just think cable TV. I don't know. Nobody I know watches cable TV. Up until this month, there was still people I know that had cable. There's actually this big thing. Uh, two separate families in my circle decided to cut cable finally. And I was like, wait, what? What? You still were paying for cable? I don't understand. But I guess, like... But it's it's just like, so, um, I am amid a culture which I think is much more uh, mainstream. I have no idea what you just said. M mid oh. a culture? I, I'm, like, within, like, where I live, the people I meet in day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life, like, I live in the suburbs. Oh, okay, yes. I I am amid very like middle class people. Oh, gotcha. Yes. A lot of them still have cable. The only people I know who have cable are baby boomers, like my mom and my aunts and uncles and my grandma. Well, my grandma's not a baby yeah. boomer, you know what I mean? And the generation above. And mm -hmm. like these are people who like my uncle lives alone by himself in an apartment. He still feels that he must have a house phone and a cell phone. You know what I'm saying? These are the people who pay for cable. As someone who still has a house phone and a cell you phone, have I a feel a little attacked here. And maybe but. want like a central location where a school yes. can contact you and your husband about your children. So I can. No, no, no that's totally like that is all like it is 100% about all those what ifs. Yeah. What if there's a babysitter who falls unconscious because they have a seizure? Will my child go through their pockets to pull out a cell phone? Right. No. No. Like, right? So like, I understand where you are coming from. My yeah. uncle lives alone by himself. And he pays yeah. for two... Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I bring this up with him every time I see him. And he's just like, no, no, it's fine. Leave it. And I'm like, okay. Waste of money, dude. Sorry. That's okay. Apparently, this just bugs me a lot. <laughs> but, I mean, there are still a lot of people who are watching cable. Cable networks are still oh, yeah, sorry. producing you, content. I, like, I got into complaining about my uncle and completely forgot my point. <laughs> With yeah. keeping it on the streaming service, you're kind of inadvertently showing it to the crowd of people who are going to be more accepting of it just because of their generation. That was my point that like you're keeping it from the baby boomers who are going to be the people for the most part who would complain about it yeah i also see it as them not willing to potentially risk uh wider criticism because i mean they have received criticism on this uh there have been internet trolls trolling these aspects people saying it's ruined star trek because you know star trek has never been about politics blah blah wake up people um 
But I think it was this was like a safer venue for them to put this kind of story out. And I think that that is one of the the huge advantages of streaming services mm. is that it lets them be much more progressive uh, with their storytelling. I can't imagine living your life thinking that Star Trek has never been political. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I yeah. have never, uh, you know, like previous to this, I've never been that into Star Trek. We've watched Next Gen when we were kids, but that's it. But even I knew that, like, the original series had the first interracial kiss on, on television. You know, like, and that there was a whole big fucking controversy about that. And that a, every, a lot of the things that happened in the original and Next Gen series are, like, metaphors for shit that's going on in the real world. Like, what? Just how dumb are these people? That's what I'm <laughs> amazed at. Like, how do you live your life that dumb? So, carry on. Thankfully, the the fans I'm surrounded with have very much been in that how dumb are you camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, agree. There was one about saving the whales. <laughs> like, like, that's literally what the movie was about. I don't understand people. Okay, sorry. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> so, shall we just do like an overview of the queer representation that's been in Discovery? Sure. So, obviously, uh, they have gay main characters on mm-hmm. the cast. A fair part of the show has been centered on Paul Stamets and. Hugh Culber. I'm glad that they're human. Who, I just want. Hmm? I'm glad that they're human characters because I think it would be very easy to make gay aliens and just, you know what I'm saying? I'd have it be sort of representation, I, but not quite representation. I, I know what you're saying, um, because that's very much how oh, they've gotten away with it in the past. That's right. That's how Next Gen dealt with it. It's like we don't have people with fluid sexualities so when we see it in these aliens we must explore yeah. like it's yeah and it's unclear if if paul and hugh are married i feel like we got an answer to this but i don't remember what it was i mean in some episodes they refer to like a- after the death of dr mm-hmm. Culber, they refer to stamets as a widower oh i don't which makes me think they were married i have Never but then that. also the ease with which they break up makes me think they were maybe just cohabitating in like a common law sort of situation. Right, right. Anyway, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it really matters. No, it does not for like the validity of their relationship. No, that, that's right. It, it's just something that we keep bringing up <laughs> and we yeah. should probably just get an actual answer on so that we don't seem like incompetent podcast hosts. Well, There'll just be something else that makes us seem like incompetent podcast yeah, that's hosts. Fair. <laughs> and um, I actually tracked out their relationship in the different episodes. Wait, like with a spreadsheet? Oh, no, not a spreadsheet. Just like a list. Okay. Because I wanted to know which episodes had their arc in it. Gotcha. And so I could kind of be like, because I could remember lots of scenes. Mm-hmm. And one of the strengths of their relationship has been that it's just presented as a normal part of these two uh, mm-hmm. characters, and it's not the only thing about them. Right, of course. 
So they have jobs, they have roles on the ship. Which is good. They are... Yeah, yeah. No, this has been, like, one of the main uh, strengths is because they're just there. It's not this big dramatic reveal. It's nothing that they have to, like... Their their identity isn't defined by their sexuality. And even the whole story with their relationship doesn't... Like, that could work for a straight relationship. Yeah, exactly. The drama doesn't rely on them being gay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have just very normal moments of, this is them brushing their teeth. Yes. You know, this is them talking about how he works too much. This is, you know, all, all those sorts of things that is just very, this is how people in relationships function. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, goes against how showing these types of characters on a family, you know, in air quotes, a family show would be controversial. Because it's like, how is this any more controversial than showing a heterosexual couple yeah. involved like this. And the downside of their relationship is that it did sort of, it did, I'm not going to say sort of, it did go into the trope of barrier gaze. Yes. And we have talked about that on previous episodes quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that we need to go much more into it now. I mean... I don't know if I'm happy that they brought him back. I mean, I've also talked about how my feelings on that they brought him back, which are mm-hmm. complicated because it was poorly done, but I like the character a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But they listen to fans being outraged about it, so that's nice. They do officially say that they did not plan to just kill him from the beginning. I don't, they plan I to- don't believe that at all. I know you don't believe that at all. That's bullshit. Um, oh, let's see what else did I want to say about this one. And Wilson Cruz has sort of has said that it was their love that let them save the universe. I'm sorry. When? Uh, he said it in interviews. No, 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 no. not not the saying of it. When did their love save oh. the universe? Well, because. Uh, I guess he was sent into the network and he could see that it was being corrupted by the mirror universe and could then tell Paul that. And then he helped Paul find his way out of the network so that Paul could do what needed to be done. Oh, to save okay. the universe. I see what you're saying. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. I know I, that's part of the reason why I wanted to go back and like, look at all of the like steps of their relationship mm-hmm. of what happened it was because I was like, I need to sort of, really get a good feel for the plot because the big action-y parts of the saving stuff is usually what sticks in your mind. Yes. I also just think that, like, the saving of the universe relied on a little bit more than that. So, like, they played their part, but I don't know if they can take credit for the whole thing. That's just just me being a douchebag. I was going to say, because I rewatched it, and so they do say that because the mycelial network is being poisoned and it connects all the universes, Mm -hmm. like it's this underlying structure that connects everything together, that if it dies, it will, like, destroy all the universes. No memory of this. So, yeah, I guess their love did save the universe. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the show really, like... Uh, did much to highlight that. The show has been highlighting a lot more of the flashier sort of things. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. What else do we have to say about Stamets and Culber? I like them. I like them a lot. They are also played by actual gay actors. Yes, that is very good. Yes. I'm glad they did that. And then we get another uh, portrayal of a queer character on the show as well. Mm -hmm. In season two, we have uh, Commander Jet Reno, played by Tig Notaro, Mm -hmm. who is also fabulous. And the other thing they did really well with her representation was that it was, again, just uh, one aspect of her. Yes. It wasn't the sole thing that was driving her character. It was brought up incredibly commonplace in conversation, as that sort of thing should be. Yes. And I would argue that um, Captain Giorgio is also queer. Yes. Uh, but I don't think that this one is handled as well as the others. I don't think it was handled well in season one. I would agree with you as much as I did enjoy her her scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they've handled it well in season two. Because or maybe I'm making up that she's like, I don't know if flirted is the word. She did totally have that scene with Stamets and Culber. That's not what I... Where she was... Well, I mean, I guess, but that's not what I'm thinking of. I swear she's like, I am perhaps making things up in my head. (laughs) I just, I swear there's been scenes with her talking to a woman that she's, I don't want to say flirted, but made that woman feel uncomfortable in a sexy way. But... Uh, maybe um, I'm making that up. In which case, no, I guess it has not been handled well in season two. I thought she just had some like interactions with both men and women, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, she has had interactions in the presence of women that there was a lot of subtext going on. Not necessarily directed at the women. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking of the scene where she comes aboard and Michael and Captain Pike and her are walking. And she and Pike are talking. And she is just really enjoying all the subtext that she can add in it. And Michael is there and she's kind of giving her looks like, you know, I'm super annoyed and angry at you and I don't trust you. No, that's fair. I think I was making up some stuff in my head. So... Anyways, mm-hmm. she is there, but not been handled great so far. Yeah, because yeah, again, it's very much, you know, her her bisexuality is as an evil character, and that is a harmful and damaging trope. It is. I, I don't think of her as an evil character, so that is probably why it bothers me a little less, but yeah, no, agreed. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think they're trying to... I don't know if they're trying to give her a redemption arc. Maybe that's what the uh, Section 31 show will be about. Mm -hmm. But she's definitely not... uh, Like, her moral compass is definitely not on the same track as Starfleet's. Right, but I don't like Starfleet, so... Well, yeah. So that's fine with me. Kate's moral compass isn't on the same track as Starfleet either, so... (laughs) She's okay with that. And so, yeah... All right, well, I think that's been all of the the in-show representation right. that we've seen. So, like most things, could be better. Yeah, yeah, could definitely be better. Okay. 
for next season, joining the show as one of the showrunners is uh, Michelle Paradise. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say it. her name. Mm-hmm. And I believe she is a lesbian. And so one of the articles was I was reading was looking forward to that. Actually getting some people behind the scenes who are part of the LGBTQ community. Right. So it could be getting better than what we've seen. Hopefully. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. Do you have any like wrappings up on Star Trek? Because I've got some things we can do after that. But... Um, I guess the only thing I have to sort of uh, transition us from Star Trek to representation in the wider sci-fi pop culture mm-hmm. would be to briefly mention that I did find a, a good article comparing the representation in Star Trek Discovery mm-hmm. and the representation that's been happening concurrently in or- the Orville. Okay. And this was one of the articles that really highlighted the fact that, um, you know, Discovery is on a streaming service because the Orville is on a cable service. And it, in general, is much more next generation like. Mm -hmm. So it's been episodic and the way in which they have handled the issues has been a lot more like old Star Trek handled the issues. Right. Um, and the article kind of concludes that, you know, maybe we do still need this. We do still need, uh, both ways of handling things because a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of people who sadly aren't ready to handle the sort of more complex stories that are being shown in Discovery. Right. And they still need to learn the allegorical lessons that are being shown in places like the Orville. Gotcha. See, the, my thing is, everybody I know who needs to, who would be open to learning those things, would never watch a show like The Orville. Although, like, I, most of my friends are queer. So, like, this isn't a problem my friends have. <laughs> you know? So, right. I'm, like, thinking right. of my mom. Not that my mom, my mom's fine. I'm not saying anything about her, but I, I'm just using her as an right. example. She would never right. watch The Orville. Yeah, I'm trying to think of people I personally know, and all the people who I know who watch The Orville are already fine with it. Yeah, I can think of two people who would watch it. People who are fine with it, or people who will never be fine with it. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I I do think that people still need, well, I can think of people who could still use those allegorical lessons, but it needs to be in mainstream or they just need to be better about putting it in mainstream things and not like like we talked about will and grace earlier and i feel Mm -hmm. like i don't i never liked will and grace so maybe that's why i just don't think of it as good representation Mm -hmm. but i always felt like it had gay representation in it but it was all of the plot of the story was about the friendship between the man and the woman right you know what i mean and it just felt yeah like it wasn't a I don't know. I, I never watched that much of it, so maybe I'm wrong, just because I, I, didn't, I didn't like it, so maybe somebody can correct me on that. But mm-hmm. it still just felt like a bit of a cop-out to have the main relationship be, for lack of a better term, a straight one. Like, it's not romance, but you know what I mean? It was still about mm-hmm. Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it suffered from a lot of the tropes of, like, the gay best friend, and... Yeah. yeah. 
All right. So do you, what are your favorite representations of queer people in preferably sci-fi fantasy, but you know, normal media too, I guess. Well, this goes into what we were sort of talking about before we started recording. Okay, but no, <laughs> let put aside the bad tropes, the bullshit, the breadcrumbs. Just what are your favorite, even if it's not great, you know? Of queer representation? Yeah, because maybe all we have are breadcrumbs, but it's what we got. So what, what, what are your best breadcrumbs? What, are the, what is that good oh, okay. like, garlic breadcrumbs out there? Not to... Not to- bore everyone mm-hmm. but um my best breadcrumbs is the star trek representation okay partly because because you like star trek there was because i love star yeah. trek and i've watched a lot of star trek and uh i can't think of a lot of other good representation off the top of my head maybe something will come to me as we discuss but or like um have you had any good ones or found any good ones in books my memory is absolute crap for remembering story plots. So <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to get like personal in this. Otherwise I would have like prepared a little bit. I'm sorry. Do you want a minute or? But I'm like vaguely recalling uh, a like queer character side plot mm-hmm. in a romance novel that was good, but I can't remember the name of the book or who wrote it. <laughs> so all right. Like I said, this is like a lot of the times I enjoy things that are subtle. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, Shira right now, right? Yes, has Good characters stuff. who you know are varied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody's out and out been like I'm gay and worn on their sleeve. Have you, but have you watched season two? I have watched season two, and I know there is, like, gay representation specifically in oh, okay. that, but I'm thinking of, like, the main princesses. Right, yes. Um, and so, like, yeah, I really enjoyed that, and I mean, like, I really enjoyed Killing Eve. Right, yep. Where, again, it wasn't, like, it was just really complex people and their attractions to each other. Like, it was, you could feel the sexual tension between people. Mm-hmm. Well, I do think, mm, I haven't watched season two yet, but I do think Villanelle is gay. Or bisexual. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about Eve. But. Yeah, I'm not sure about Eve, but Villanelle is, you know, bisexual or gay. Yeah. And, yeah, I haven't watched season two yet either. And I think the actors on that show just did a fabulous job of having that come across. Mm-hmm. Without it being, like, waved around, like, overtly. Again, it was just who they were. Yeah. Seeping through their portrayals. And, yeah. Do you have some favorites? Um, I do. So, I was trying to find a, a solid list, you know, of sci-fi movies and televisions that had queer representation in it that didn't necessarily end in a barrier gaze situation sadly that was mostly a fail the one like good one that i found as far as i can tell i haven't watched the whole series yet so i don't know but the internet didn't tell me anything uh was orphan black yes i have seen orphan black so it's got more than one queer character yes and nobody's told me that either of them die either of the two that i know of Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm 
I or either of the two main characters. I don't know about their love interests. I was, was going to say I'm trying to remember like the ancillary characters, right. um, because again, my memory for these kinds of things is not great. I think, but the two main yeah. ones do not die. So sorry, spoilers. Yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Whatever, it's old. So the other one is a little bit. The other one that I could find is a little bit uh, iffy because it's it's Doctor Who. Uh, slash Torchwood with Captain Jack. Oh, I want to watch that. Actually, one of my main reasons for wanting to watch that is because I love uh, that character. Right, yes. And I wanted to see more of him. I will say one of... Uh, the spoilers, whatever. Um, one of <laughs> Captain Jack's male love interests in Torchwood mm-hmm. does die. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that character is also, I think, a main character in the show. So... That's a little iffy, but I mean, right. Captain Jack's whole thing is that he's immortal, so barrier gaze right. is impossible. so he's safe. <laughs> yeah, and I like Captain Jack because he is literally willing to sleep with anything. Right. <laughs> Absolutely anything. And the actor who plays him, mm-hmm. uh, whose name I have no idea, is he... I keep wanting to say on the spectrum, but that's not the correct... <laughs> words at all is he on the rainbow (laughs) yes is he part of the queer community john barrowman john barrowman yeah there's actually a cosplayer i follow Mm -hmm. uh who creates like people who make cosplay costumes and they have dressed him for a few conventions oh but i've never well i it doesn't matter what his sexual preference is, except that it's good for people who are in the community to be playing those characters so we get authentic representations. Barrowman's husband is named Scott Gill, so yes. Oh, okay. There we go. I thought he was. I didn't just want to say yes without double-checking. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So yeah, and his, his character's great. Yeah, that was... I've only watched a smattering of Doctor Who. Well, he comes from Doctor um, Who when Doctor Who was run by... A gay man so oh okay uh but his episodes were some of my favorites yeah, so he's great i think it was russell no john no fuck what was that man's name <laughs> russell t davies is what i'm thinking of i did try to find out some more information about there being representation among the directors and writers and producers of star trek discovery mm-hmm. But it's very hard to find out a lot of information about these people. Uh, sometimes their their IMDb listing is literally just like a, a, a case of next season's showrunner. Is also gay. I just want to mention that Russell T. Davies is indeed gay. I was not making that up in my head. Oh, I wanted to bring up, sorry, for books. Um, Rick Riordan's books are great. And he really played the system with his books. Like his first five or so, there's, I'm going to say no crew representation in them at all. I was going to say, I've read, only read his first series, so. And then, but they got super popular and everybody loved them. And so mm-hmm. then he introduced a gay character and then he introduced, uh, like, I think I'm pretty sure there's a trans character and all these other things. And it, he, so he got super popular first and he has literally said on record, like, yeah, that was my plan. Like, to get my books popular, get everyone reading them, and then slowly just bring it all in and have basically everything that he could think of represented in his books. 
And he's really great also because um, he writes books, he writes children's books mm-hmm. based on uh, old mythology and that sort of thing. And at one point, and people are always asking him, like, why don't you do a series based on this mythology or this mythology? And a lot of people bring up mythology that he has no connection to, like um, a lot of Asian mythology or uh, indigenous people mythology here in North America, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so instead of him writing the books, he started like his own imprint with Disney. Right, yes. Where he, like the Rick Riordan Presents, where Mm -hmm. he gets people who do have these cultures to write books in his similar style with bringing them to modern day audiences and doing that. And yeah. Which is like allyship as it should be. Yeah. Like he's using his platform to elevate others. Exactly, yes. Voices in the their actual cultural communities, right? Yeah. With those cultural backgrounds, I should say. If you're wanting to put some good uh queer representation into the hands of children, uh like I said, the his first series, five books. There's no queer characters in that one. But if they're then hooked on the characters and want to read more, because there's, there's a sequel series about the same characters and and that sort of thing, um, it's really it, it's really good, and it expands into a lot of different things. Or even adults. I mean, I, I still love those books. They're hilarious. I, I enjoyed reading. Um, I want to say that there is probably a lot better representation available in things like graphic novels and things like that. But I can't speak personally to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends what you're reading. If you're reading like well, no. Marvel and DC, no. If you're reading like smaller stuff, yeah, like read um, shoot, uh, Friendship to the Max. Uh, what the f are those comic books I called? I have no idea. That's gonna bother me. To the Google. <laughs> okay, no, I can get this, Jen. Summer camp. Is it the Lumberjanes? Yeah, there we go. Thank okay. you. Okay. Because that's by the same uh, person who ha- brought Shira. Back. She didn't write them. She, she just did some of the character designs. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, if you want one that she did write, then you should read Noelle by. No, Noelle is her name. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> oh my God. She does have a really good graphic novel that is uh, very, very much with the queer representation and just really good characters in general. Nimona is what I'm thinking of. Starts with an N, so obviously. Um, and I don't think she was involved with the writing of Lumberjanes. I think she was. I think she was only involved with the R. I could be wrong. And then um, you know you could always check out. Uh, this isn't sci-fi, but um, nope. I'm not gonna have any idea what it's called. Uh, the hockey boys in college with the pie. <laughs> if you just if you just Google that, you'll find the graphic novel. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I'm also a little scared to Google Hockey Boys College and Pie. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> Include the words graphic novel in your Google. Yes. Uh, and I did want to also recommend a fiction podcast uh, that has that is all about a world in which, like, it's a it's a queer utopia. Basically, it's just not even like a thing anymore. So much so that she has trouble mentioning what all is represented in it because people don't just don't talk about it because it's just accepted anyway uh that's the penumbra podcast okay but yeah that's that's everything i've got off the top of my head yeah no i think that gives a good overview Mm -hmm. now we did get um 
one tweet from Matthew Vos. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Okay, so Matthew asks, what could they do in future seasons to deliver good representation? So I think a lot of the writing with their representation is fine, uh, other than when they killed them off, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think they just need more. Yeah. More. You know, that that's the problem with all of it, is that it's always just, hey, there's this gay character. Yeah. Isn't that great? Pretty much. There hasn't been any real representation uh, of trans characters. Mm-hmm. And, um, or other characters who may be asexual or, you know, pansexual or... I'm personally not really into sci-fi doing asexual characters because I don't think they would do it well. Like, I think that they would just make it an alien. Right, right. You know, and like, like, um, like 709. Yes. Uh, yeah, and that's how Next Gen has dealt with it in the past. Mm-hmm. And, I mean... Sci-fi and fantasy, that is one of the strengths, is that you can use these fantastical elements as allegory to examine things within our own culture. Mm-hmm. But it can also be a weakness. Yeah. I think so far, Discovery is doing a really good job of not having any alien species that are caricatured or too stereotyped. Yes. I guess that's a thing. If you're going to put it in an alien, you still have to make it like a queer identity and not just the way those aliens are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it would be really interesting to see uh, sexual identity or sexual orientation and gender identity diversity among alien species. And not like they've done it in the allegorical sense in the past where this alien race is androgynous. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I meant. Yes. So, yeah. So I would like to see much more representation just in general and handled in the same way that Stemetz, Culber, and Reno have been handled, where it's mm-hmm. just, this is just part of the character. Mm-hmm. And I'd like them to stop killing them off. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, so shall we wrap things up? We shall. So, um, you know, let us know what your favorite queer representation is in anything, uh, but sci-fi and fantasy in particular. Mm-hmm. Or if you think we did or said anything incorrect. Absolutely. Uh, now, Kate, do you have anything mm-hmm. to recommend this week? Oh my god, I forgot that we did that. <laughs> I mean, I guess we did sort of, like, recommend some things there to check out. In terms of, you know, things we could remember that had queer representation. Yeah. I'm sure I have things to recommend. It's been like a month. Yeah. How about we just do a general... Uh, this episode, we recommend checking out some media, literature, shows, whatever appeals to you mm-hmm. that includes some form of queer representation so that you broaden your perspectives and... Yeah, and, uh, you know, sub- go out and support your local um, pride festivals. Yeah. Once again, thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments you want to share with us, you can contact us at a command of her own at gmail.com or at command of her own on Twitter. And you can check out the Star Trek related pictures I share over at Instagram.com slash a command of her own. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.